I want to preface my sermon today with just a few disclaimers. First, I am not a trained minister, as most of you know. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Second, I will make references to pop culture during my sermon. So if you're not familiar with those, you can consult with me or maybe a member of the youth group after the service. <laughs> Third, I am in the unenviable position of preaching after Garamay Almeida and Mandy McMichael, and one week before Nathan Stone, all of whom are excellent preachers. So please don't judge me too harshly by comparison. <laughs> As Garamay mentioned in his sermon two weeks ago, in the New Testament, the Pharisees and scribes are frequently portrayed as trying to trip Jesus up and as laying traps for him regarding his interpretations of Jewish law. Throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees and scribes cross-examined Jesus with tricky questions, and they delivered not-so-veiled criticisms about his association with social outcasts and sinners. But who were the Pharisees and scribes that were always giving Jesus such a hard time? The Pharisees and scribes were men who had studied the Jewish law. Many Pharisees and all scribes could draft legal documents, such as contracts for marriage, divorce, inheritance, sales of land, mortgages, and other similar legal papers. They debated and pontificated about the law and how it should be applied in various situations, and they pronounced their judgments on what they thought to be right and wrong according to the law. So basically, you know, they were lawyers. <laughs> now that's interesting to me because, as I said earlier, I've been a lawyer. I've been practicing law for the past 18 years. And lawyers in modern times don't exactly have the best reputation, right? And for instance, in 1997, which is the year that I decided to go to law school, there were two movies that came out that weren't particularly kind to lawyers. In the first movie, Liar Liar, uh, <laughs> Jim Carrey plays the part of a dishonest attorney whose extreme devotion to his work gets in the way of his family relationships. Toward the beginning of the movie, his young son is asked at school by a teacher, what does your dad do for a living? He responds by saying, He's a liar. <laughs> the teacher's kind of confused by that and asks, seeks clarification. And then he says, well, he wears a suit, he goes to court, and he talks to the judge. And the teacher says, oh, I see, he's a lawyer. And of course, the boy kind of shrugs his shoulders like, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. In a somewhat more sinister movie that came out later that same year called The Devil's Advocate, lawyers are portrayed as demons in human form, and Al Pacino plays the part of a lawyer who is actually Satan. And Pacino is the head partner at a big law firm in New York City, and in the final climactic scene of the movie, uh, which is very entertaining but has some dirty language, by the way, um, Pacino's character reveals that lawyers are a key part of Satan's plan for an ultimate confrontation against God for universal domination. 
Needless to say, these movies take a pretty dim view of lawyers. <laughs> and of course, there are a ton of lawyer jokes, right? We've all heard them. Like, how can you tell when a lawyer is lying? Anyone? His lips are moving, or he opens his mouth. <laughs> or the one about the father and child walking through a cemetery. They come across a headstone that says, Here lies a lawyer and a true Christian. The child looks up at the father and says, Dad, why are there two people in this grave? <laughs> While script writers and others have had fun at lawyers' expense over the years, the New Testament also doesn't have that much good to say about lawyers either. One source that I reviewed says that there are at least 63 references to lawyers and teachers of the law in the New Testament, and none of them are positive. Indeed, lawyers often serve as literary foils for Jesus in the New Testament, presenting him, unfortunately, with numerous opportunities to speak the truth to power. For their part, the lawyers hide behind technicalities and the letter of the law in order to avoid helping their neighbors and to justify their own narrow-minded prejudices. They are legalistic and judgmental to the point of not being charitable, kind, or compassionate. And so they are repeatedly called out by Jesus for these shortcomings in the New Testament. In the scripture passage from today's lectionary, the lawyers are grumbling, which in my experience is a very lawyerly thing to do. <laughs> grumbling about the fact that Jesus welcomes and breaks bread with social outcasts and with sinners. Jesus responds to the grumbling lawyers by telling them the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin in which a sinner who repents is compared to a lost sheep that is found by a shepherd and a lost coin that is found by a woman who has cleaned her whole house looking for it. I think we can understand these two parables in the context of the scripture passage from today as stories about Jesus confronting overly judgmental people with their unwillingness to welcome and break bread with others that society has defined as outcasts and as unworthy. Jesus' actions and parables reaffirm that welcoming and providing physical support, care, and comfort to outcasts, exiles, and the socially undesirable has always been an important part of our tradition that the Pharisees, both then and now, have deliberately chosen to ignore. For instance, Leviticus 19.34, which is cited on a protest sign that's hanging in Megan's office, says, The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Offering hospitality, refuge, and protection to foreigners, strangers, and social outcasts is fundamentally important in our faith tradition. And believe it or not, there are some lawyers in our own society who do this type of work full time, 
such as Anna Lee Looper over at American Gateways here in Waco, whom many of you know. Now, the other way to understand these two parables may be a little bit more difficult to talk about because it requires us to talk about sin. In explaining the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, Jesus clearly talked about rejoicing over the repentance of even one sinner. The concepts of sin and repentance are not something that we talk about all that much at Lakeshore. Possibly this is because we are uncomfortable with some of the traditional definitions of sin. While we would all agree that serious crimes like rape and murder are sins, I think that many of us come from traditions or churches where sin allegedly included a whole host of behaviors and actions that are not in and of themselves sinful. For instance, the traditional Southern Baptist view of dancing was very negative, right? But as my daughter Maddie will tell anybody in this room, dancing is not a sin, guys. <laughs> it certainly is not, and in fact, it can be a beautiful way it can be a beautiful way to worship and glorify God. So we really need to find some way to reframe our conversation about sin and repentance. In this regard, I think it is helpful to look at another story involving Jesus and, surprise, a lawyer. There are three gospel accounts regarding a lawyer asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment and the law? The first two of these are found in Matthew and Mark, but I like the version that's in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment and the law? And Jesus, like a good law school professor, like a Beth Miller, turns the question around and asks the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus hears this, he says, yes, A+. Plus. You get a gold star for today. So the lawyer gets it right. Right? Well, sort of. Not exactly. Being a typical lawyer, he has to go on and ask Jesus what should be the totally unnecessary follow-up question, which happens in court and depositions all the time, by the way. He asks, who is my neighbor? <laughs> the lawyer, like Heidi Klum in the TV show Project Runway, is really asking Jesus, who's in and who's out? Who is my neighbor? And who am I free to ignore? Jesus responds to the lawyer by telling the story of the Good Samaritan in order to illustrate that, A, everyone is your neighbor, no exceptions, nobody has to leave the runway today, Heidi. And, and B, the lens of your perception is really clouded and flawed if you have bought in to society's judgments about who's in and who's out. So going back to what I was saying earlier, how does this discussion between Jesus and a lawyer regarding the greatest commandment 
relate to, this, to sin and repentance as discussed in today's parables. First, I think, when we fail to love God or when God is not at the center of our lives because God has been replaced by something else, then we have gone astray and we have lost our way. Second, when we fail to accept, forgive, and care for the people around us for whatever reasons, we are forgetting God's commandment about loving our neighbors. And that love for our neighbors necessarily must extend even to those that we think are not worthy of our love and to those that we would rather treat as outcasts. Third, when Jesus talks about the sinner who is the lost sheep or the lost coin, he is really talking about all of us at some point in our lives. All of us, you, me, we have all fallen short of the glory of God at various times and in various ways. Sometimes we fall short in big ways and sometimes in small ways. But all of us have lost our way at some point and need to be found again. We all, from time to time, need help refocusing our minds and our hearts on what actually matters. All too often, we focus on things other than God and other than our neighbor. It's easy to do, right? There are so many distractions. We live in a plugged-in, wired-in, wireless, streaming, mobile, texting, posting, tweeting, 24-7, on-the-go world that focuses on me and not on God and certainly not on other people. We experience FOMO, which is the fear of missing out on fun and exciting activities and experiences. When we should be afraid of missing out on opportunities to worship God and to serve others. We focus on ourselves and on our own concerns so obsessively that we are unaware of our neighbor's pain and suffering. We fixate on becoming more financially, physically, and emotionally fit and neglect those around us who are in financial need, forget to visit those who are sick, and fail to befriend our neighbor that is depressed and anxious. We do not give others the space to tell us what they need or how their life is going. In our mixed up, overscheduled, chaotic, self-centered lives, there is little time, attention, or energy left for God or our neighbor. Sometimes we harbor grudges against people who have hurt our feelings in the past, not realizing that that person we are mad at is hurting too and just needs a kind word. Like the Pharisees, we are judgmental, self-righteous, and full of pride. We don't want to forgive, and we definitely don't want to break bread with people who are in the other group or who don't think like us. Like the Pharisees, we often fall victim to prejudicial thoughts that are the unfortunate baggage of our past and our upbringing without swiftly checking and rejecting those destructive thoughts when they arise. We are not always aware of our privileges, and even when we are, we frequently fail to use them 
to support, defend, and uplift those who are less privileged. We let the depressing news of current events and all the evil that we see on TV and the internet overwhelm us and drive away our joy. This destroys our ability to work for what is right and good. We allow our own hurt and our pain about the unfair blows that life has dealt us cause us to become angry at God, to reject God. We are the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. My friends, the good news, according to Jesus Christ, is that there is a God that is seeking us, each of us. The universe that we inhabit has sharp edges and dark places. There is no denying that. And there is no denying that we have lost our way from time to time. But God is seeking us out, even in the middle of our pain, our sin, and our despair. And we all, each of us, have the ability to repent, which literally means to change our minds and our hearts. Instead of turning our backs on this world and those around us, we can choose to turn back toward God and to go back to the work of loving our neighbors. It is never too late to make this change. As Edmund Spencer wrote, nothing is lost that may be found if sought. God is seeking us, so we are not ultimately lost. This is not just the good news. It is great news. Jesus says in these two parables that each one of us is loved and each one of us is of such amazing, stunning, great value to the extent that the king of the entire universe seeks after us like the shepherd that is looking for his one lost sheep, so much so that the queen of the entire universe seeks after us like the woman who cleans her whole house from top to bottom to find just one lost coin. Our great hope and faith is that each and every one of us will be found by God's love and grace every time that we lose our way, that each of us will finally recognize and internalize that there is a seat for us and for each of our neighbors at the table where God's banquet feast is spread, and that someday we can all join together in giving voice to the words of John Newton's hymn, What Once Was Lost Now Is Found. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, there's even hope for lawyers too.